0: European-style vacation, Fangraphs Audio Returns. Hello, I'm Carson Sestouli, and this is indeed Fangraphs Audio. On this particular edition of the pod, we invite into the fold Mr. Dave Cameron, our full-time employee, resident prospect maven Brian Smith, and generally useful fellow Matt Clausen. Contrary to previous pods, we look at some current events, shockingly, not the least of which is the news that Steven Strasberg, will be forced to undergo Tommy John surgery. We discuss the ramifications of Strasburg's injury and project what sort of player he might be when he returns. We move from there to look at the Manny Ramirez situation. Ramirez is on his way to Chicago. What does his presence mean for that team, and how does it compare relative to other teams he might have ended up on? Finally, we consider some September call-ups and look at, in particular, two categories of player who will be called up, those who find their way to the major leagues for clubs that are out of contention, and another sort, in particular, relief pitchers, who are called to bolster the bullpens of contending teams. All that white-hot analysis on this particular episode of FanGraphs Audio. Yes, indeed, uh, back after a summer's furlough, or at least an August-long furlough, it is a bang-up edition of Fangraphs Audio. Uh, we have around this incredibly round and also entirely virtual table some pod veterans, including um, neither last nor least, our full-time employee Dave Cameron from the uh, calling from North Carolina. Dave, is that is that where you are?
1: Uh, that is where I am.
0: Uh, things going there, good for you? You've, uh, hey, yeah,
1: your, your yeah, for low. yeah, no, no furlough for me. And also the oppressive humidity of Hades has passed for a little while, which is great.
0: Oh yeah, you had a little bit of a Hades situation, huh? Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, I think the uh, devil actually came here to cool off a little bit. It was, it was brutal.
0: Now if you were to compare that to a ring of hell, uh, which one would you compare it to?
1: This was like the fourth level, I think. Like this, The, the, the humidity in North Carolina last month was where they put like the really bad people.
0: Oh, is that where they put? Um, is that where they put beat journalists?
1: <laughs> yes, some of them, and Rob Dibble. <laughs>
0: oh wow, surprised he's only that that low. Uh, okay, who else do we have here? Oh, we have around here our uh, resident um uh, calling to us from the uh, the frozen north, Matt Clausen. You're here, right? Yep. Good, good, to, good to hear from you, Carson. Good to hear from you too. And you're going to take on? Uh, uh, you're going to be host 1.5 on this show. Is that right? Exactly. Asking the, big you- asking the big questions That's right Good, well it's nice to have you back, sir And then uh, last, also, uh, actually last, but uh, also not least So I guess, Clausen. sorry, I guess that makes you least So uh, Is uh, is uh, from Chicago, uh, a resident prospect, Maven, Brian Smith
2: Hey, Carson, how are you?
0: All right Brian, how are futures these days? Uh,
2: you know, up and down
0: Up and down, <laughs> Man, isn't that always the way? All right. Um, Well, as I've probably said in the introduction, we have a packed podcast uh, for the listeners. Hmm, Where to start? Probably with two uh, news-worthy items. Um, Actually, I think both of sort of uh, have just come out today. Um, Probably one that uh, will have uh, uh, smiles turning upside down into frowns is the news that Steven Strasberg. probably one of the more talented and uh, entertaining pitching prospects that we've had in some time the news that he will need to have Tommy John surgery I'm curious um, because I'm sure a lot has been said Dave Cameron let's start with you what what is the reaction to this uh, what what is any sort of valuable reaction to this news other than that's depressing
1: yeah, I mean, I think that's the main thing that we all felt when we heard the news, is this sucks. And, uh, you know, I think for anyone who's a fan of baseball, Strasburg was fun to watch. And, like, regardless of you root for the Nationals or not, he was good for the sport. People went to watch him pitch. They would tune in to watch him pitch. Uh He got up on Sports Center regularly. You were able to talk to him, about him, to casual fans who weren't necessarily die-hard baseball guys, but they liked seeing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs blow hitters away. And so to lose him for at least a year is a blow to baseball. And um, you know, I, I, I like the analogy to the uh, inverted frown. And so, you know, I think one of the unfortunate things that comes out of this is people like to dance around and say, I told you so, his mechanics were terrible, and, uh, pretend like they knew that Strasburg was gonna get hurt. When, in reality, so many pitchers get hurt that you could just point at the guy and say, he's gonna get hurt, and eventually you'll probably be right, cause pitcher attrition is so high. But, um I, you know, most of these people who are dancing around and treating this as good news, or that it proves their pet theory right, I, I just kinda wanna punch them in the nose, or give them an inverted frown.
0: What's the pet theory?
1: Well, you know, there's the whole uh, theory about the inverted W. It's a specific kind of way your arm action goes, and Strasburg was uh, labeled as one of the guys who uses that kind of arm action. And the theory is that those guys break down more often. There's no actual evidence for this, uh, and, you know, there's no proof. Uh, And most of the people who actually have studied pitching mechanics disagree with the theory, but there's a, a decent crop of people out there that like to repeat it anyway, and so there's been several in the comments thread today, saying, you know, well, ha, ha we told you so. He throws too many breaking balls, and he has an inverted W, and uh, I kind of hope someone flashes their tires.
0: Oh, boy. Well, let's hope it's their tires and not some other part of them. Uh, Klaassen, you didn't you used to work for Driveline Mechanics? Are you a uh, are you a pitching mechanics expert? No. <laughs> oh.
3: Well,
0: why were you writing uh, for
3: them, then? Because he needed somebody to crunch numbers and t- say things like, Greg Zahn's pretty good and that uh, – uh, Jeff Rancour sucks. Oh, you're valuable. You know, Super deep. Valuable. Yeah,
0: it was deep. Well, Colossa, uh, do you wanna uh, do you wanna answer for us why it's called uh, an inverted W and not an M?
3: You know, I've been pondering this for for months, maybe even eight months. You know, so it's been, it's been a lot of time. I have not, I have no idea. I was hoping we could. Maybe this just doesn't sound as cool. Uh, that's why we that's why we call a frown uh, uh, an inverted upside down parentheses.
0: Matt thinks the deep thoughts. Uh, Brian yeah. Smith, does this does this teach us anything? Does the Strasburg case um, teach us anything about uh, you know evaluating prospects and in particular pitchers? I mean, I know that uh, Steven Strasburg got what a 14 or 15 million dollar guarantee contract, whereas Bryce Har- Harper, uh, you know, maybe um, in some ways more of a sure thing. Um, because of he's a hitter and he's, he seems to be a pretty talented one, I think received about two thirds of what Strasbourg did. You know, is this going to adjust that at all, or is you know is this sort of uh, business as usual?
2: I think it's pretty much business as usual. I don't think we learned anything that we didn't know. Pitchers are risky, and this sort of thing happens. But when you have a talent like Strasburg, you pay for it. I mean, he was already worth 2.6 WAR by our measures, which is ten and a half million dollars. So he's he's almost been worse what the nationals paid him and that's before you even consider the popularity he brought to the franchise now you compare him to Bryce Harper but they were both number one guys I mean I think if you give the nationals the choice right now between Strasburg and Dustin Ackley they still pick Strasburg
0: okay and you know was there from your perspective you know as someone who um, you know talks with other prospect mavens and uh, is uh, maybe a little bit more keen on reading scouting reports uh, you know, sort of what we were talking about with the inverted W, pitching mechanics. Is there any way, you know, to your mind, uh, to have said retrospectively um, that that Strasburg was any more of a um, of a risk than other pitchers you'll see out there?
2: Not really. I mean, I'll echo what Jim Callis was saying today, was that when you talked to scouts before the draft last year, the vast majority of them were pretty happy with his mechanics. If you, If you watch him pitch it doesn't seem like there's much effort. He, he throws the ball consistently, 97 to 100 miles an hour, and it looks pretty easy. I think the one thing I would worry about, if anything else, was he was a guy that went to college throwing in the mid to high 80s. And I do wonder a little bit about those guys that suddenly gain 10 miles an hour. I just It just seems unnatural to me, but, you know, there's no proof of it. And if I had, you know, again, if I had the opportunity to get Strasburg knowing that, he had gained 10 miles an hour in a couple of years. I still would have done it. Right.
0: Okay, Cameron. I mean, you, you know, for example, do you uh, you're you're a Mariners fan and analyst. You have a guy in Felix Hernandez who was, um, you know, incredibly hyped coming out of. Uh, um, well, even as a, he was, I believe he was a um, f- free agent signing, right? A Latin American free yeah. agent signing. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. Uh, he, uh, you know, it, it, was there any sense to? I mean, is, could this have just as easily happened to someone like Felix Hernandez, um, you know, who, who has all the talent in the world. Uh,
1: absolutely. I think in 2007, we saw he got off to this tremendous start. That was the year. I think he, uh, threw that one hitter in Boston where he just carved up the Red Sox in one of the best performances we'd ever seen. And his next start out, he won a third of an inning and left with an arm injury, and the entire city of Seattle held their breath. At that one. I think he was 22, and he walked off the mound holding his arm. Spent a month on the disabled list, and they actually, the initial, uh, diagnosis was the same as Strasburg's initial diagnosis was I think a flexor bundle strain which we all at that point had just assumed that they were hiding the fact that he needed to do Tommy John surgery or they were delaying the inevitable and so there was a three-week portion period a while ago uh, where we all thought Felix was headed under the knife and so it's definitely not some kind of deterministic thing where you can look at it and say this guy's going to stay healthy and that guy's not and so all these people were like well uh, we told you this was going to happen but no one knows like I mean you know uh, we can look at any pitcher and say there's probably a 30 or 40% chance that at some point in his career he's going to blow out his arm and there's a 70 or 80% chance that at some point he'll spend time on a disabled list. Like the guys who don't get hurt are the exceptions. And so uh, there's just no way to know which guys are going to stay healthy. It's really just a crapshoot.
2: I'm sorry, And it you should say- And it should be mentioned that when he does have surgery, he's going to come back in 2012 and the recovery rate's better than it's ever been. The surgery's easier than it... For doctors, and it's been ever. And pitchers come back from this, and there's still a good chance. I mean, we're not losing the career of Steven Strasburg. The comparisons to Mark Pryor are ridiculous. He's going to come back, and maybe he doesn't touch 100 miles an hour as often, but he's still going to be pretty good. He's got a feel for a breaking ball and a changeup, and he's still going to throw the ball hard. I just I don't want to, you know, treat it like an obituary when we still have a lot of Steven Strasburg left.
3: Yeah, not what, like it's, uh, oh, ahead, it's not like it's not like this. It's not like this is going to cost the Nationals the, the 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 NL East title in twenty 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 eleven. Y- anyway, I mean it, it's terrible for them because he's their best player and he's not going to be around next year. But it's not as if it has a. Uh, I mean, it's terrible for the Nationals, but it's, in terms of changing the complexion of NL East, it, it or whatever, it doesn't. And I think uh, just as I could, uh add on one more thing, just to get back onto the whole pitcher's a risky thing. It was a few years ago. Uh, in one of Victor Wang's studies, he just found that the best, I mean, it's, uh, tangentially related, but interesting. He just found the best trade strategy in general was to get elite hitters and then pitchers in bulk. Now, when you're getting prospects, now that's uh, obviously a general rule. Obviously, <laughs> if you have a chance to get uh, uh, one Steven Strasburg in a trade, which of course you never would, because um, no one would trade him, uh, you'd go for it. But just the idea that, that just you have to get a lot of pitchers because a lot of them, there's a lot of attrition. When they're young, uh, for the same reasons that I think Victor's studies sports so we're saying pitchers are risky. You don't know. I mean, if, if uh, five years ago, or whatever, you can. I mean, you can find Zach Greinke, Felix Hernandez, and uh, i try to think of another one of their rough contemporaries. It's like Dave was saying: pick out which one is going to make it unscathed to the mid 20s. Uh, no one would win those bets,
0: right? Yeah, and I would advise uh, uh, listeners to check out at least. Uh, perhaps there's a better resource than this, but I think um, uh, either Dan Zimborski or another one on the on Twitter uh, uh, provided a link to the pitchers who've had Tommy John surgery, and the list is lengthy and actually features it, it, uh, well. Actually, also includes field players as well, like Matt Holliday, for example. And it's uh, it's a longer list than I would have assumed, and it features a lot of guys who are uh, pitching well in the majors right now.
3: Yeah, I think it was Jerry Krasnick who tweeted earlier uh, today that out of the the, the All-Star pitching staff, uh, both pitchers in the All-Star game this year, uh, 10 of them had had Tommy John surgery.
0: Oh, yeah. So there you go. Uh, So we could say that it's unfortunate, um, but maybe not quite the tragedy that uh, it seems at first blush. Um, Let's move on to... Um, to something that's the opposite of tragedy and and perhaps it's a a grand comedy uh, which is the Manny Ramirez situation, right? And it's also another uh, uh, news item that's uh, breaking across the wires today. Manny Ramirez I think the last uh, day or two here was uh, placed on waivers by the Los Angeles Dodgers who are very likely uh, not in contention for playoff baseball at this point. It was widely rumored that the White Sox Chicago White Sox um, you know, uh, were Manny Ramirez to get through uh, the National League on waivers, um, would be inclined to pick him up. And seeing as they're featuring Mark Kotsay frequently as a DH, um, they serve to benefit from it. Uh, it appears as though the White Sox have indeed won the waiver claim, and uh, so now all that um, remains to occur is the Dodgers and White Sox work out a trade, um, if that's at all possible. Uh, Dave Cameron. Will it go down? Maybe put a percentage number on it and then, uh, you know, explain yourself and, uh, you know, the situation.
1: Yeah, I don't think we'll see a trade. I think the Dodgers will end up just giving Manny Ramirez to the White Sox, much like the Blue Jays just gave Alex Rios to the White Sox a year ago. I think this is a very similar situation where, in the end, the White Sox are going to say, you know, we will take this player and his salary, but we're not going to give you anything for him. And the Dodgers will look around and say, we would rather save $4 million than, you know, haggle over some low-level prospect and they'll eventually just let Manny go because uh, they'll realize they're not actual contenders this year. There's too many teams they have to jump over and the White Sox will spend the $4 million to get a DH upgrade for the final month of the season. And um, I think it'll be an interesting case to see if it works. And I think they're clearly an inferior team to the Twins, but they're close enough to where it, it makes some sense to try for it. And, you know, one of the things we've talked about in terms of win value, someone might say $4 million for a month of Manny Ramirez, that's crazy. But if that win that he is worth over Mark Kotze uh, is the win that pushes him into the playoffs, that win is worth 20 or $30 million in terms of financial gain because the playoff series is a huge revenue generator and it carries over into season ticket sales the following year and uh, the perception of your club is a lot different if you make the playoffs. So uh, that one particular win that Manny Ramirez could add could end up being very, very valuable. And so if I'm the White Sox, I understand why they're making this move even though I don't think it will put them over the top.
0: Is this the... I mean, in terms of teams that he could have possibly ended up with, though, or could, you know, um, is this the team that he stands the most likely to benefit?
1: Uh, I think Tampa Bay probably would have been the team that he could have helped the most, simply because uh him in that order, they had a hole at DH, Uh they're likely to make the playoffs, he would have been able to play in October and make a significant impact on their chances of winning the World Series, I think that's the team he would have helped the most, they ended up signing Brad Hopp instead, who will help them a little bit but is not Manny Ramirez um, and you know, I think there's talk, you know, he could have ended up in Texas, that would have been interesting, just because they already have Vlad Guerrero and he could have played the outfield in Texas which would have been a lot of fun to watch um, but you know, I think He'll help the White Sox. Um, will he help them enough to overcome the Twins?
0: Probably not. Okay, uh, Brian Smith. In the event that uh, the Dodgers, you know, do ask for someone and and or do uh, receive someone in return for Mayor Ramirez from the White Sox, who do you see as uh, possibilities, or who are they, who would they ask for at least?
2: Yeah, I think they'll go in and ask for uh, some of the top guys, and of course, and they'll get turned down. I, I think one guy you would target is Brent Morrell, who's third base prospect for the White Sox but he's he's sort of blocked because the perception is he's worse than Diane vicieto I don't really understand where that comes from but that's how the White sox think um, so the Dodgers will probably try to benefit from that and ask for him but ultimately get turned down and they'll probably ask for Jared Mitchell the first round pick from last year who missed the year because of injury and they'll definitely get turned down there so I do think I, th- I think the Dodgers will ultimately get a choice between the White Sox taking the entire salary and getting nothing back, like Dave mentioned, or eating a very small amount of the salary and getting back a grade C player, of which you know there's a hundred in the Sox system.
0: Is uh, it, just as an aside, your uh, your brief comment there about Vicieto versus Morrell uh, is it is it because of Vicieto's uh, play discipline? Um, of which he possesses none. Is that the idea?
2: Yeah, I mean that's certainly. I think, I think that's the part of his value that we don't see that the White Sox are willing to overlook for whatever reason.
0: Okay. Well, uh, interesting thing there, Claussen, You know, you're an AL Central guy. Uh, uh, not that, uh, not that your team is anywhere close to contention, but I'm sure that you have understand these teams a little bit. And, and I think that, didn't you write something? You've written about the White Sox earlier this season. If, if um,
3: yeah, I thought they should. I thought they should pack it in, and then they went on like a. I think it was about a seventy-five game winning streak. Yeah, they to- uh, they showed you. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. I I'm feeling a little bit better about it now. Things are shaking out how I thought they would. I mean, I I can't I don't think other than that to add about about the specific, Sorry, the specifics of the uh, Ramirez acquisition at this time, from what Dave and Brian did. I mean, I think it's a win better than Mark Kotsay, which is is pretty good. You know, given that they're what three and a half out. And there's a little over a month left to play. Uh, what's a little bit frustrating about it is that, you know, Mark hatze was their DH at the beginning of the year, right? I mean, that they could have, uh, you know, I know I, his name is all the time. They could have had Russ Brannion for, you know, what? What did he sign for with Cleveland? Less than a million dollars
1: and million. some
3: incentives? Two
1: million,
3: yeah. Oh, two million, yeah. So they could have had him for two million dollars. They'll probably end up paying four for, for one month of Manny uh, if it goes down. Uh, and uh, I just you know, they, they, it's September, and now they, I mean, what uh, it seems like you know, it's, well, it's like we're talking about the Mariners, it's like they, they here where we go, they, they trade for branding they they knew, at the beginning, you know, obviously there's a different situation there with the resigning, but you know, they they knew at the beginning of the year that their DH was a platoon of Mike Swee and Ken Griffey Jr. I don't under, I mean, it's water under the bridge, obviously. Now they they are in it, they have a chance to trade for Manny, if they have four million dollars they can spend on that, great.
0: To your mind, though, is that is that essentially why they're not um, – so let's see. So they've probably gotten lucky to only be three and a half games out. Do you think that uh, if they had had anything like a, a respectable DH, that that would be more like one and a half games, one game, no games well,
3: at all? Well, I, I don't think they'd be tied, but they might be one or two games back, and it wouldn't have – Cost them any? You know, it wouldn't have cost them much to not have Mark Kotze as their DH. You know, platooning with uh, Andrew Jones, who you know turned back into Andrew, Andrew Jones after being awesome for a month. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and now they're going to spend four million. Basically, they're spending four million dollars now, uh, and potentially, I don't know. Maybe they'll give up. I don't know, Brian. Maybe they'll give up. They'll take. They'll they'll either get it for nothing, or they'll maybe send back a you know a C minus prospect or something. If 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 they're really generous with the Dodgers. Uh, for what they get to paid less for at the beginning of the season, they could be addressing other needs now.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, well, there you go. That's the uh, that's the Manny Ramirez situation. I mean, if nothing else, I think uh, you allow me to editorialize briefly. It'll be interesting to see Manny in Chicago, uh, which is once again another big market, and the uh, the White Sox do uh, always seem to be uh, capable of providing uh, entertainment um, if they're not always uh, in first place. But between Ozzie Guillen. Uh, GM Kenny Williams, who does make some curious decisions, and uh, and now someone like Manny in the mix. I think that uh, at least they'll be watchable, um, if not necessarily better than the Twins. Um, So let's see, as we're recording this right at the end of August, uh, one thing that that, uh, comes up at this time of year is the uh, September call-ups, during which time well, you know, in fact, I'm not even sure I entirely understand. Brian Smith, maybe you can explain it, uh, in addition to to telling us some guys you expect to see, but with the September call-ups, is this guys are allowed to call-up because rosters expand, you can bring up uh, anyone on the 40-man roster, is that what's going on?
2: Yeah, you can bring up anyone on your 40-man roster, and you can, as long as they have not accrued service time before that point, they do. it doesn't count. The the time they spend on the roster for the month does not count against their service time, ultimately.
0: Okay, so who are we going to see then? Uh, I mean, who are some guys that, uh, you know, someone like me, for example, I don't necessarily have a team that I'm cheering for, or you know, maybe someone like Klausen, whose uh, team is terrible. Well, actually, that kind of goes for all three of the people uh, guesting on the pod today. Uh, who who can we expect to see that might that, uh, catch your eye Might be someone to watch for the future? Well,
2: I think there's sort of two different directions These September call-ups take The first is a bad team that just wants to give Some of their better prospects a taste of the major leagues See what it's like to travel with the team And to pitch in the big stadium And in that sense, you'll probably see someone like Zach Britton From the Orioles, who I love And who uh, Matt Eddy at Baseball America Wrote a fantastic piece this week about He's... Just a sinker baller that is now touching 93 to 95 miles an hour from the left side and throws incredible sink on his fastball. So he'll be really fun to watch. But then I think the more interesting story are the are the teams that are in contention and are just trying to add maybe an, a relief arm or a bench player that can help make the push. You think about Francisco Rodriguez with the Angels the year they won the World Series. Someone that could ultimately... Uh, sneak into the playoff roster based on the, the weird rule in place and someone like Araldus Chapman of the Reds or, uh, Tanner Sheppard.
0: Do you expect, uh, Chapman to be called up?
2: Yeah, absolutely. The, the uh, the Reds moved Chapman into relief in, I want to say early July, pretty much with the sole intention of having him used to the role when September came around and, we saw the same thing with Jake McGee for the Tampa Bay Rays who, who got moved into relief a couple of weeks ago and he's a, he's a lefty similar to Chapman in the sense that he's now throwing about 96, 98 miles an hour and Tanner Shepherds is another guy who the Rangers say is ultimately going to be a starter but they've kept him in relief Well, he had a brief stint as a starter but they've moved him back to relief and he's going to come throw the hell out of the ball in September too.
0: Is... is uh... Are all those guys going to be starters? Is Chapman going to be a starter eventually? Uh, you know, when he is a uh, bona fide major leaguer.
2: Yeah, I mean that's what the teams are saying now, and and I think you have to believe them. Shepherds is the one that I don't see as the starter in the least. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. His stuff more than the other two considerably drops off when he's a starter, and he doesn't really have good enough off speed stuff, in my opinion, to succeed in that role. But Jake McGee, I think, can definitely be a starter if he can stay healthy. And and Chapman, I, I'd love to see what he could do, given a whole season in the role, but we don't really know yet.
0: Okay, Cameron, uh, two things to you. One is, uh, you know, uh, just generally, if you could think of any more prospects uh, that we're likely to see this September, um, it seems like, you know, um, Smith provided a whole bunch of pitchers. If you could think of any field players, that would be great. And secondly, with regard to these pitchers, um, you know, do you think that this idea of role kind of screws with them? You know, I think of someone like jobber Chamberlain, who has had success in a relief role in the past, or maybe Jonathan Papelman who said who has showed success in a relief role, even though you know maybe at a certain point along the way in terms of their development, starting would have been the ideal way to deploy them. I'm curious about those uh, things, maybe field players and also uh, using pitchers uh, in, in a relief role when maybe uh, you know starting is their ultimate destiny.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you'll see fewer position players come up than p- pitchers simply because it's easier to use pitchers with an expanded bullpen. They can do situational things. If you bring up a positional prospect, especially if their team is already in minor league contention and you know the minor league playoff stretch into mid-September, if you're going to pull them out of an everyday job, uh What could be playoff experience, even in the Triple A level, you're not going to want to sit them on the bench in the major leagues. And so, a lot of these teams are more hesitant to call up their positional guys because it's not as easy to use them as a pinch hitter to break them in, as if you bring them in for an inning in a low leverage situation as a reliever. So, you might see someone like Lucas Duda of the Mets come up as a you know a power hitting kind of guy who could try and give their offense some spark. And you know, it's not like the Mets have a lot of guys in his way right now. So, wait, Duda? I'm like, sorry,
0: Duda is what position does he play?
1: Uh, he's a first baseman outfielder, but he's kind of one of these like lumbering, non-athletic guys who's he's a hitter. That's kind of his position.
0: <laughs> okay, um, and uh, and then in terms of the roles uh, for pitchers, what do you how do you see that affecting them? Like, it, it, I, you know, to add another name, Neftali Feliz, a guy who was probably originally, um, you know, identified as a starter who can keep uh, can hold his velocity into late innings when he starts, but you know now pretty much seems set up to be a relief pitcher.
1: Yeah, I think it's an interesting uh dynamic that teams have to choose from, because I'll use Tampa Bay as an example. Like, Brian brought up Jake McGee. He's not the only name. They've got Jeremy Hellickson who's going to come back up as well. And they've, so they've got, like, seven or eight of these pitchers that could be starters or could be relievers, and they kind of have to figure out not only what's in their best interest long term, I, I know we can argue that starting is always more valuable than relievers, but they only have five rotation spots. So when they get to the playoffs, then they only have four. And so you don't want to just say, well, these guys will help us most as a starter and pigeonhole yourself into a thing where you've lost some value and you're going to mediocre relievers like Randy Choate in the playoffs when you could have Jake McGee and Wade Davis and uh, you could have some real power arms coming out of the bullpen. I um, having a conversation with John Manuel of Baseball America yesterday and we were talking about how if the Rays wanted to they could stick Helixson in the rotation, move Wade Davis and uh, bring Jake McGee up, have those guys with Joaquin Benoit and Raphael Soriano all of a sudden that is a nasty nasty bullpen to be throwing out this October uh, and you add Helixson in, in behind Price and those guys Irritation is still totally fine, so I think the the Rays could do some interesting things with their September call ups and revamp their staff a little bit and go into October with a pitching staff that no one wants to face.
0: Yeah, hey, uh, Klaassen, the the Royals have actually done something that I consider kind of interesting, which is they seem to have used the last month or so and will probably use September to do this as well. I guess to kind of give auditions to. I w- God, you don't even call them post-hype. It's sort of post-post-post-hype sleepers, like uh, Brian Bullington and Philip Humber, both guys who are pretty high draft picks. Um, I don't know. I'm curious about first of all the Royals situation specifically, and then secondly, if you view you know September maybe as an opportunity to to try out guys who have been um, you know left by the wayside, even though maybe uh, you know they might have some talent or you know able to fill some role down the road.
3: Well, in the Royals' case, I think it's just... (laughs) I'm not sure it's that interesting. (laughs) uh, In the Royals' case, it's just that everyone got hurt. Hochaver got hurt uh, after he... Luke Hochaver got hurt after he'd actually seemed to be uh, turning it on a little bit. I mean, not dominating, pitching pretty well. Uh, uh, And then Gilmesh, to everyone's utter surprise, uh, is done, maybe, for all of next year, too. And so... And then Bannister was... uh, even Graves prize was pitching terribly so they, they basically had to uh, I forgot you know it's ridiculous. if you look at all the former first round picks the Royals might have on their <laughs> roster at September you might get kind of excited uh, until you realize you know a lot of it's you know Mitch Meyer Philip Humber Brian Bullington I don't know these guys are all number five starters I'm glad that they've actually figured out that you don't have to pay you know two million dollars for replacement level pitchers um, so that's that's an improvement um Bruce Chen always exciting um you know when he when, when he comes in.
0: I don't know uh, if there was even actually any original hype on Bruce Chen though. I think <laughs> it, this is not it's not post hype sleeper. It's post uh, competence sleeper maybe. Don't, say,
3: don't don't say that to Will Ferrell. He's a big Chen fan.
0: Well, that's that's different.
3: Yeah. That's although different. although I know Dave is not a big Will Ferrell fan. But with with you know, what's depressing about the Royals is that this is a team. I mean now look. Let me say it. You know. For all I said about Dayton Moore and I, I take almost none of it back. Uh, the Royals' farm system is a, a I, you know, I'm sure others would agree. I don't think I'm just being homer. It's made huge leaps this season. But what's depressing is there's no September call-ups to really look forward to. We got, you know, Jay Miller got called up, or, you know, or even, you know, they, they, they're they giving, I guess, Keela and Alice Gordon another chance. Of course, they should have been called up a month earlier, since now we're not really going to find out that much about him in the majors. And uh, so, but, but it's depressing to not. Have anybody who's rate's a temper? I guess we people thought Mustakis might get a chance, but he, he, I think he's still a good good prospect, but he he hasn't hit that well in AAA. So that's that's kind of a downer when you don't have any exciting uh, tri- when you are a bad team and there's no exciting. You know, you're thinking, hey, maybe and what you're excited about is, hey, maybe Brian Bullington can actually pitch in the major leagues. That's that's not much. Here's a, here's a totally off uh, off off the cuff question though for a uh, Dave and or Brian or Brian and or Dave, whichever order is appropriate. Uh, is there any chance, uh, I know it's slim, I'm not sure why the why they call him up, but any chance that De- the Rays call up Desmond Jennings?
2: No. Yeah, they're definitely going to. Um... <laughs>
3: well, wow. good. Let's oh, yeah, I want you guys to find out this, and then I want to hear a, a Dustin Ackley throwdown for the ages.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, yeah. I, was totally, I was totally kidding, by the way. Brian's right. So oh,
3: okay. we will
2: call him
0: up? Yeah. Brian, yeah, so he's going to
2: shadow Carl Crawford for a yeah. month because he's taken over for him next yeah. year.
0: Yeah. Okay, so De- so you will get to see Desmond
3: Jennings then. Yeah, I like yeah. Jennings. I mean, it's just like everyone else, I like Jennings. I don't know. Just cool. and,
0: and uh, I mean, will we see him deployed sporadically or like, as I know, their right field is uh, has been sort of a, a rotating door. It's been uh, Joyce at some points, and he's played well, although gotten a little unlucky. Zilbrist has been out there. I believe Kapler's out for the year. Is there any chance? Uh, Brian uh, that, that Jennings get Some right field time?
2: I think there's a chance That Jennings plays right field But most likely they're going to stick with the guys That brought him here and you'll see Jennings as a fifth outfielder Defensive replacement and uh, Base runner in the late innings He's really being Called up to see what it's like To be on a big league team and to see how Carl Crawford ha- handles himself every day Because everyone in the Tampa Bay front office knows Crawford's not going to be There next year but They'd certainly like someone that acts like him in the clubhouse and acts like him on the field.
0: So, and, and it is Jen- Jennings is a pretty dynamic base runner, isn't that right? I mean, is he could he fill sort of that uh, pinch running role, uh, you know, a la Dave Roberts uh, come to playoffs? Yeah, I think, I mean,
2: I do think the Rays will try to exploit that Francisco Rodriguez rule and, and try to get him on the playoff roster. Uh, if they make it that far I would think at least But you never know And they might be doing that anyway with Jake McGee So it's hard to tell what they're going to do Just because they legitimately have 35 people worthy of being on the playoff team
0: Right now it, uh, So we have Desmond Jennings there Another position player we may or may not see Is Dustin Ackley uh, Smith, I'm going to come back to you in a second But I want to hear what Cameron has to say about it first uh this is maybe pro Ackley, is that what it is?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well I think uh I think you're not gonna be Ackley in September. The Mariners haven't ticketed to go to the Arizona Fall League again. And realistically he's played baseball for twelve consecutive months at this point, like since they've sent him to the AFL last year, he hasn't taken any time off and so at some point they need to give the kid a break and he's not major league ready, so uh I don't think they're gonna bring him up and um if they do it'll be for like a token at bat where he gets to say hi to the fans and then he heads off to Arizona, so I wouldn't expect to see too much Dustin Ackley to send him, or if you see him at all. Um, but I know Brian and I have some disagreements over Ackley's uh, potential power in the future, and uh, you know, it's okay. I, I think I'm right. <laughs> <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Well, what do you see Ackley as, Cameron? I mean, in terms of uh, whatever you want to do, by WAR or slash stats. I mean, how do you see him?
1: Yeah, the comp that I've kind of grown into since they moved him to second base. I originally threw out the Darren Erstad name when he was thinking of you know, being an outfielder, the hopefully the good version before he, you know. Uh, had all the injuries and became terrible for the last 10 years of his career, but um, now I'm kind of looking at him as kind of like a Brian Roberts type, where you see Roberts had very similar minor league numbers, where he had for no power whatsoever. He's not a huge walk guy, but he makes a good amount of contact, and he has a ton of doubles, and he plays pretty good defense at second base. Right now, Ackley's defense at second base is nowhere near that good, but it's his first year at the position, and so I think that's kind of what you'd want to project him into, and Brian Roberts has never been the best player in baseball, but he's a good four- to five-win player when he's healthy, and Um, I think that's what Ackley's upside could be is probably more of the four win player than the five win player. He'd have to get a little bit stronger and get really good defensively in order to be a five win guy. But I think as a a really good, you know, 300 hitter with 40 or 50 doubles a year, maybe 10 or 15 home runs and some walks, uh, if he can play second base competently, that's an all star caliber player.
0: Right. Okay. And Smith, uh, you know, how do you feel about that Brian Roberts upside?
2: I mean, I'm just shocked to hear Dave Cameron say 10 to 15 home runs because I think that runs countered everything I've heard for the last two months. I think that's the stance that I've been taking, and <laughs>
0: you, know, you <laughs> and I feel like he's uh, you hear. feel like he's taking your position a little bit.
2: Yeah, I think he's coming over to the to the right side of the argument a little bit.
0: <laughs> Cameron, have but you changed have you changed your stance on on him a little bit in terms of the power?
2: No, I don't think I ever saw him as
1: more than a 10. I mean, that's one of the reasons I threw out the uh, Erstad comparison. I mean, he had that one year where he had 24 home runs, but he was always a low double digits kind of guy. And, um you know, I've even compared him to Derek Jeter, which is kind of the same thing, where he's generally a 10 to 12 home run guy who, you know, hits the ball the other way, has an inside-out swing. Uh, I think that's the kind of hitter we can expect. Ackley to turn into if he lives up to potential. I'm not saying it's going to be Derek Peter, but that's kind of his upside, is that kind of hitter. I think you know the Chase Utley comparisons were more because he likes Chase Utley, and so writers ran with that. I don't think Ackley's ever going to turn into Chase Utley as a hitter. and um, But I think realistically, you know, he's a doubles guy. He's not a homers guy. I don't think... uh I mean, hopefully, I've never represented him as a 30 homer guy. I don't think I ever have, and I never believed he was going to be a 30 homer guy. So I think the, the, those of us who are fans of Dustin Ackley are hoping for 50 doubles and 15 home runs a year.
0: Smith, when you have your sort of like a behind the schoolhouse type throwdown with Cameron, do you plan on wearing brass knuckles of any sort? Or are you just going to go at it, you know, like, or are you going to do like a like glass on your fist types of thing, a la you know, Street Fighter? Or what? I mean, how are you going to take him down? Do you foresee?
2: I have, I have a less vested interest in the argument, so I think dave's Dave would be a little more passionate plus I'm bigger than him so I
0: can that's verify true. that uh, <laughs> I can say that for, that's a fact um, y- you know uh, we had originally anticipated on uh, doing a uh, a sort of end of the year awards uh, type of discussion but I think that we've we've really filled this Pod up, full of the joy, all the joy that it could take, and uh, so I'm going to suggest that we, uh, so we'll table the uh, discussion of end of the season awards until next time, and uh, we'll we'll let the, that intriguing discussion uh, wet the uh, appetites of our rabid uh, listenership. In the meantime, uh, for Dave Cameron, thank you, sir, for joining us. No problem, and Brian, you better say
1: good things about Ackley,
0: or I'll flash your tires too. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> wow. Okay, Brian Smith. Um, good. Uh, thank you for joining us, sir. And uh, I hope you don't own a car for your sake. Yeah, I'm gonna go move it. Smart. From North Carolina. <laughs> That's best yeah, that you do that. And Matt Clawson. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. Indeed. Well, you agree that it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Yes. <laughs> you, you should be happy to know me. <laughs> I am happy to know you, uh, and uh, for, for all those uh, people, I, uh, I I say also goodbye uh, from myself, Carson Sestouli and uh, please do uh, tune in next week as we have a, a, a intriguing uh, end of the year awards type discussion. Um, uh, this is this is continues to be uh, FanGraphs audio. Bye.